0: I have something on my heart that the Lord put on my heart this morning that I think is for us. You know the story in in John chapter eight where the woman's caught in adultery. You know that story. So the the woman's caught in adultery, and uh, the Pharisees uh, bring her before Jesus, and uh, they say this woman was caught in adultery. The Law of Moses tells us that she should be stoned. What do you say? And do you remember what Jesus does? He he gets down and he writes in the sand, right? And then he says, um, he, was at, he who is without sin can throw the first stone. It's just an amazing statement. And so wh- what happens is, one by one, starting with the oldest, it says they dropped their stones, and they walked away, and then Jesus is still riding in, in the sand, and then he looks at the woman, and he says, where did they go? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, no one, Lord. And then do you remember what he says to her? Go and send no, go, go no more. So um, as I, the Lord put that story in my heart this morning, and as I was praying, like, what, what would you have for us this morning in that? Because it has nothing to do with the sermon that I planned. Um, I felt like what the Lord was inviting me to ask us was some of us live like this story is just the first half of the story. And, and some of us live like the story is just the second half of the story. Some of us, some of us live like all we ever hear from God is "Go and sin no more." Man, that is that. Hey, anybody ever wrestled with the statement in Scripture where it says, "Be perfect as God is perfect." Be perfect as God is perfect. That that one, when I, I wrestle with that, like what is that even? <laughs> he, John says he who says he's without sin, is a liar, and makes God out to be a liar, and then. So there's that, but if you if you live like that and miss the first half of the story, where where there's so much love and grace in Jesus and accepting this woman out of out of the darkness, or or what if this story for some of us, what if this story was, um, what if it was two men caught sleeping together, and and brought before Jesus, what what would he say? Some of us live like it's only the second half of the story. Go the cinema. Some of us live like it's only the first half, right? Where, where we just hear the grace without then to take up your cross and follow me. Um, in, our, in our relationship with Christ, it's, it's both. It's both. It's, it's the unbelievable grace, grace, marvelous grace of God, which we just sang about. But then in, in the walk of discipleship that we're called to with Christ, he doesn't just stop there because then what does he say to us? At, at the cross when he's forgiven us, when he's cleansed us, when he's accepted us, broken and sinful as we are, he then, he then says, take up your cross and follow me. He then, he then says to her, go and sin no more. So there's a cost to discipleship. It's, it's not just the one without the other. But it's not the other without the one. So let us be whole disciples of Christ, receiving completely the love and forgiveness of Christ, but knowing, too, that because he is our Lord and Savior, that he has the right to tell us how to live. He has the right to tell us where to go, how to spend our money, how to spend our time, what to watch on TV, what not to watch on TV. He has the right. He is God. All right, let's pray. (laughs) <laughs> we'll we'll let the Holy Spirit uh, tie everything in together today. God, we we come before you this morning, every single one of us in the same exact state apart from you as that woman. Every single one of us. Not not a single person in here, including me, God, you know, like not a single one of us is righteous. No, not one, the scriptures say. All of us, all of us have betrayed God and fallen short of his glory. All of us have transgressed the law of God. And yet, when we come to Jesus, I hear his words in John 3 to Nicodemus where he says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Same same idea to this woman in the same book. I I don't condemn you either but go and send no more live, live a life of discipleship live a life following after me live a life of listening to my word of of walking with me God help us uh, to receive your full testimony this morning and uh, whether whether uh, we tend to be uh, an older son in the or a younger son, like in the prodigal son, or in this story, the Pharisees, or the, or the woman, whether, whether our tendency is one or the other, God, we, we all equally need you. We all equally need the grace of God. And, and if you have loved us that much, then we had better love one another in the same way. We had better look around this room and say, I love you in the same way that God loved me. Because if we don't, then we haven't actually received the love of God. We've stopped it short. We've cut it short. This is the whole point of 1 John. Where he's saying, if you, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you make God out to be a liar. You, 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 we have to fully receive the love of God. And then we must love in the same way that we have been loved. Which means, no matter where that person comes from, no matter what their background is, no matter the cultural or even theological differences, no matter matter what those things are, that in our flesh we would hate. In you, God. In you, because we've received that love, you've said to us love in the same way. This is only possible when the Holy Spirit is abiding within us and we are abiding within Him. Which is why, what is the first fruit that the Spirit of God brings? produces love love joy peace patience love love is the first god help us today receive your word wherever you want to take us god we want to follow you you are lord and savior we pray this in your name amen all right i'm gonna have to make up some time you ready put your seatbelts on we are in acts and uh it has been a blast to be in acts for me Acts is uh, the second part of a two-part work, Luke and Acts. When Luke wrote Luke and Acts, he wrote them as one book. He did not separate them in the New Testament like in our New Testament. They're meant to be read together. So the stories in Luke speak to the stories in Acts. And the stories in Acts speak to the stories in Luke. The first Christians did not have them as a separate, separate document. The first generation of Christians would have had Luke and Acts together as one single document. So they would have gone straight through This is why Luke says at the beginning of Acts, In my first work, O Theophilus, I I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. The implications of this are, of course, that in Acts, he's writing about what Jesus continued to do and teach, this time through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, and the saints, and the believers in the book of Acts. Alright, these are important questions we should always ask when we're reading a story in the scriptures. Who, what, when, where, why? These are the same questions that reporters ask today uh, when they're reporting on a story. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. All right, so in this story, there's a bunch of people. In Acts chapter 4, there's gonna, we're going to see Peter, we're going to see John, we're going to see the people, we'll see the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, the elders, the scribes, and the high priest. That's a lot. It's a lot of different people. All right, what happens? Peter and John are arrested. Do you remember why they're arrested? What did they just do? They just healed the man in the temple. The paralytic, alright, so they're arrested and they're brought before the elders and the scribes and they are interrogated. How dare you heal this man? When when does it happen? It happens uh, the day after the healing of the paralytic. Where does it happen? It happens in Jerusalem, that's all we know, but it's probably um, at the Sanhedrin, which was the 71-member tribunal that served as the Jewish Supreme Court. So they are being brought and interrogated, before the Supreme Court. Can you imagine? It would be a pretty intense experience. The question we should always ask of the Scriptures, this is the most important question, why? This is what the Scriptures want to answer. They want to answer why. They don't always want to answer how. Although we'd like them to. They don't always answer the question how. But what the Lord, through the Spirit of God, desires to answer, this this is... the Bible is teleological. It's theological. It's, it's about why. So the question we should be seeking in the story is why. So I didn't put anything because I want you to ask why. Why does this story happen? All right. And then I want you to note, because this is part, uh, Luke and Acts are part of the same two-part work, there's, a lot of times there's parallels. So what are the parallels between Acts 4 and Luke chapter 20? And I'm going to point some of them out. But as you're uh, walking through this passage, and uh, maybe throughout the week, I'd, I'd encourage you to engage the parallels between Luke 20 and Acts chapter 4. All right, who in the world are they talking about with all these people? Uh, the Pharisees, these are the most famous group. You know this name, I'm sure. The Pharisees, the name probably comes from the Hebrew term meaning to separate. Uh, and can you guess why? <laughs> the Pharisees love to separate themselves. They love to separate themselves from everyone else. Uh, the Pharisees were resistant to Hellenistic culture. That's Greek culture. And to cooperation with the Romans, they did not want to cooperate with the Romans. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They followed the law, and they followed a large body of oral traditions. Though they were legalistic and literalistic in in their reading of the laws and traditions, they were not as extreme as some other groups. In some ways, Jesus actually affirms the Pharisees, like with the issue of resurrection and his uh, proclamation to some that they are not far from the kingdom. He says to several Pharisees, you are not far from the kingdom. Um, but in issues of, and I chose these words purposefully, in issues of mercy, justice, and grace, Jesus condemns the teaching of the Pharisees. Many of Jesus' references to hell are directed at the Pharisees. Um, Saul, who later changes his name to Paul, was at this time a committed Pharisee. Jesus, theologically speaking, is much closer to the Pharisees than he was to the Sadducees. Um, Even though in our culture we give the Pharisees a bad rap, there's a lot of stuff that they believe that Jesus affirmed. And there's a misconception in our culture that the Pharisees um, were over-dependent on the law of God, when the testimony of Christ is actually the opposite. Jesus condemns them because they weren't dependent enough upon the law of God, particularly the moral law of God. They were concerned about the ritualistic laws, um, and they ignored the moral laws of God. All right, the Sadducees. The Sadducees uh, rejected the more literal reading of the law. They rejected many of the oral traditions of the Pharisees, and they focused primarily on the Torah, the first five books of Moses. They embraced many aspects of Hellenistic culture and maintained friendly relationships with the Romans. They were few in number but might be characterized by the term good old boys. Uh, They enjoyed high social standing, political power, and wealth. They particularly held sway among their wealthy peers, but they enjoyed far less prestige among the poor populace. Often they were forced to follow the far more popular policies of the Pharisees, even though they disagreed. The Sadducees also rejected fate and providence, relying more heavily On the concept of free will, they had their own oral traditions and interpretations which differed from the Pharisees. They desired to maintain the status quo with Rome. They liked the way things were. They wanted Rome to remain in power. Uh, Explaining their role in Acts 4. So this explains their role in this chapter and elsewhere. The Sadducees were the ones who ran the temple. Alright, the captain of the temple. We're going to hear his name in a few minutes. He was a member of the high priestly family. And he was the second most powerful man at the temple. He commanded the temple police and oversaw the daily whole offering. So remember, when Peter and John went to the temple in the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon, during the afternoon sacrifice, and they went in and they, uh, Peter heals, uh, well, Jesus heals the paralytic, and then they go into the temple. They interrupted the liturgy that this man was overseeing in the temple. So he was in charge of the the liturgy. He was in charge of the worship service, the captain of the temple. All right, the priests are mentioned. They were officials responsible for the temple. All right, and here's a quote uh, from a great book. It's called Jewish Backgrounds of the New Testament. Very helpful. And this is about the high priestly family and what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because if you remember, in the Old Testament, um, in in the Torah, God set up the high priest to be the family of Aaron and when you were the high priest you were the high priest for life. So why in the New Testament does it keep changing? Different people are listed as the high priest in different stories. So this is why. Herod the Great and other Roman rulers following him saw the high priestly office as far too important to leave to the chance of generational succession. They set aside the provision that a high priest served for life. So they changed the law. Instead they installed and deposed chief priests at their pleasure. The most influential high priest family was that of Annas, son of Seth. Annas held the office from 86 to 15. A total of eight members of his family filled the office. The best known is the son-in-law of Annas, Joseph Caiaphas, who served from AD 18 to 36, who presided at the trial of Jesus. The frequent turnover of high priests explains why Annas, who was not then the high priest, participated at the trials of Jesus and of Peter and John, and why Caiaphas is described as high priest that year. So uh, the puppet leaders um, and Herod the Great, they, the puppet leaders of the Roman Empire, um, they realized that the high priestly family, like they could, by, if it was just left to fate, that this could fall in the hands of someone that doesn't agree with us. And so they strip the family of Aaron from from that title, and they give it to the people they wanted to, who would then in turn be their puppets. And you can see uh, why the high priests, which are supposed to be like the spiritual leaders of Israel, end up being in league with Rome throughout the, the ministry of Jesus and the book of Acts. All right, context is always important. Can't understand the story if we don't know the context. This is all still within the context of Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in the meals. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This previous story from Acts chapter 3 is one of these. It says later in that uh, chapter 2 that daily they were going to the temple to pray and teach. So, one of these days, while they were going to the temple to preach, Acts chapter 3, a man who was uh, born lame from birth was lying there. His friends had brought him to the gate to beg for money. And he asked Peter and John for money. And Peter says to him the interesting thing, silver and gold, I have none. Which, we talked about this last week. Yes, he does. He could have gone back to the church. We just heard that they were sharing everything and that there was no one in need. He could have been like, five minutes, give me five minutes, I'll be right back. But he doesn't. He says, I don't have that. For you, what I do have for you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. The Nazarene, rise up and walk. He doesn't give the man a second to breathe. He grabs his hand, pulls him up, and the man is healed. And he goes walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. And there are parallels between this story and Luke chapter 5, where the paralytic is, raised, is lowered down in front of Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't heal him physically. He heals him in his soul. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees get upset. And so he says, well, I'm going to show you I have power and authority to forgive even sins. Therefore, rise up and walk. And the man rises up and walk. All right. That leads us to Acts chapter 4. You with me? This is a lot. I'm covering a lot. You guys good? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got this. All right. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people... They were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And furthermore, this whole riot that's happening is going to cause trouble with Rome, which means it's going to be brought down on their heads. They're very disturbed. Verse 3, they arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. So this is the Sanhedrin, the high court. Annas, the high priest, was there. Actually, he wasn't the high priest. Uh, along with Caiaphas... His son-in-law, John Alexander and other relatives of the high priest we don't really know who they are. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, "By what power, and in whose name have you done this? Who gave you the authority to come into the temple and start talking about Jesus? Who gave you the right to do that? That's, we're the ones who choose. Who gets to, to speak and what they speak. We're the ones who put that schedule together. Who gave you the right and the authority? Same author, Luke chapter 20. One day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, same place, same leaders, this is just a year before, about the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, same people that are at the court with him, and the elders, same people, came up to him, that's Jesus, and they demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do that? Some irony in here, isn't there? Same exact question, same setting, same people. Jesus says, let me ask you a question first. He replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people, remember they're scared of the people, the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. Totally cop out. And Jesus responded, then I'm not going to tell you either by what authority I do these things. Alright, I wonder if this is in Peter and John's mind. This question, verse 7, they brought in the two disciples. This is back in Acts chapter 4, and demanded, "By by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people... Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says... The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages by the New Testament writers. It appears in a number of different books and a number of different uh, people quote it. Psalm 118. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Alright, you see that phrase? Remember it. Remember this phrase. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Anybody else know where Peter says this again? First First Peter chapter 2, same exact quotation. The the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There's no salvation in Rome. There's no salvation in money or political power or fear of man. All the things that you're worried about. There's no salvation there. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Have any of you heard the illustration that uh, Gandhi gave about religions in the mountain? Have you heard this? Um, he, Gandhi had a number of close Christian friends. And, and he, was, uh, he read the New Testament quite a bit. Um, because his, Gandhi's nonviolence actually came from the Sermon on the Mount, in and, and reading uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, Gandhi never became a Christian, because what he believed about religions was this, that, that life is like a mountain, and all religions start at different points on the base of that mountain. So you have Muslims over here, and Hindus over here, and Christians over here, and Buddhists over here, and, and so on and so forth. And as you climb the mountain... They all come to the same point. They, so, so all roads lead to the same place. And that, that was his philosophy. And this is very popular in our culture today. The, this idea that you follow God how you want to follow God. And you follow God how you want to follow God. And I'll follow God how I want to follow God. They're all going to the same place as we climb this mountain. In, in, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Because yes, we start at different places. But as we climb, we climb to the same point. And the only, the only way, the only way, the only salvation, the only way to restore a relationship between creator God and man and woman, and children, old and young, is the name of Jesus Christ. That is it. So no matter where you start on the base of that mountain, the, the, the mountain of truth leads to one point. The, the, the mountain of, of truly seeking after God comes to one place. The name of Jesus Christ. And that is it. There is no other way. Peter says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Let that phrase sink in for a second. They recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. You ever spend time with someone who's been with Jesus and recognize it? That's the best. That, that is the best. When you spend time with someone else, I mean, spending time with Jesus is the greater, greatest thing. It is the greatest thing. And when you spend time with someone else who's spent time with Jesus and it's radiating off of them, man, that's awesome. You know when you spend time with someone who's really insecure and, you, and, and like waves of kind of guilt like or like or shame like come off that person when you're spending time with them, because like their own insecurity emanates out and, and, and you end up getting touched by a person's own insecurity. In the same way, when you're with someone who just knows that Jesus loves him and they're following after him, spending time with him, it radiates out and encompasses you. It is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I love this phrase, they recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. As we are living this life, let us be the same. You know the line in the scriptures, they know we are Christians by our... They, they know you're Christians because you tell them you're going, they're going to hell. <laughs> no, they, they know you're Christians by our love. The, this is why the Spirit of God is working so powerfully in friendships. And it has always worked that way, but it is really working powerfully in our culture in friendships. Because when we spend time with Jesus, and then we spend time with others, they, people recognize, recognize that person's been with Jesus. And it's attractive and it's beautiful because Jesus is the greatest thing in all the world. You know the old spiritual song? Yeah, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. You know that song? Oh, I love that song. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing You. I want to know You more. It goes on and on like that. The greatest thing in all the world is being with Jesus. And people feel that. They feel it. They feel it. And they felt it with Peter and John. And sometimes it makes you really uncomfortable because... Jesus also says, take up your cross and follow me, and go and sin no more. So it's not always a comfortable feeling. For these Sadducees and and the leaders, it's certainly not comfortable. But they, they feel Jesus radiating off of Peter and John, because Peter and John have spent time with Jesus. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and (laughs) conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. So that tells us that option one would have been, let's just cover this up. It's too late for that. Everybody knows this man was a paralytic because he sits there every day. And everybody knows that he's healed because now he's jumping and leaping around. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them, Never again, never again are you to speak in Jesus' name. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Again, fear of man. They're so scared of the people. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them, what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, this is Psalm 2, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord... Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And Let, us pray, let our prayer be the same today. God, stretch out your hand with power on our broken and falling apart at the seams society. That at the name of Jesus, there may be miraculous healings inside and outside. Happening because Jesus' name is proclaimed with power and authority and without fear. Amen? Amen. After this prayer, the meeting, took, the meeting place shook. It's like a second Pentecost. The meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. This morning we're going to take communion together. We're going to uh, participate in the Lord's Table. And the last part of my sermon here, I, um, you can keep the slides up. The last part of my sermon, I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 20 because there's another parallel. Um, there's another really important parallel between the two stories. And I'm going to let this lead us in to the Lord's Table today. So a, quick, uh, a couple of quick notes about um, communion here at Parker Ford Church We'll have a deacon serving on either side of the sanctuary. And if you would like to participate with us, you can go down the side aisles and receive the elements. You go at your own pace. No one's going to dismiss you. you go when you're ready. You can, you can eat and drink the elements up front, or you can take them back to your seat. Um, just do it uh, as the Lord would lead you. Um, we would ask that only those who have a relationship with the Lord, uh, as Lord and Savior, who have made that commitment... Um, where Jesus can say to you, take up your cross and follow me, and you say, yes, Lord. Like, if that's, if that's your, your journey and your story, and you've received the Lordship of Christ in your life, we, we invite you, whether you're visiting or this is your home church, come and participate with us. If, if you haven't yet taken that step of coming to the mountaintop and the peak where, where the only way forward is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we would ask that you not participate. Um, this is This is a supper for the family of God, not because we desire to be exclusive and and keep anyone out, but because we believe our Lord and Savior is precious and and we desire to honor his his sacrifice and so if you 've received his sacrifice, then come join us join the family of God and participate and I would also ask you, the scriptures are clear: if you have an offense towards your brother or sister don 't take today until you can come before God and release that offense. And that doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out thing. It can be immediate right now. Because as you receive God's forgiveness, the Word of God says, give God's forgiveness. And, And forgiveness does not require someone saying sorry to you. It doesn't require someone saying sorry to forgive. Reconciliation requires that, but not forgiveness. In Christ, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven, which means every single time someone sins against us, we are to forgive every single time. You're not allowed to hold grudges as Christians. I'm sorry, you're not allowed. I wish we could. I'd like to. You're not allowed to. Because does God hold a grudge against you? No. In the same way, you forgive as you've been forgiven. All right. So here's the tie-in. This is amazing. This is back to Luke chapter 20, right after the the Pharisees or the the Sadducees and the the leaders of the temple, they come to Jesus and they say, who gave you this authority to do this? Who gave you this authority? This This is the very next story. Now Jesus turned to the people again. So this is still in the temple. He turned to the people again and told them the story. A man planted a vineyard. He leased it to tenant farmers and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant. They beat him up and they sent him back empty handed. So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. And a third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do? The owner asked himself. I know. I'll send my precious son. They're going to respect him. They have to. He's my child. He's my son. But when the tenant farmer saw his son, they said to each other, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard, and they murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen. His listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. Good job, Sherlock. Not France. (laughs) This is against them. And it speaks to us. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid. What are they afraid of again? Again, they're afraid of the people. The leaders are not to fear people. They're to lead people. That's why God made leaders. Not to, not to be led by fear of man, but to sacrificially lead. This is why Jesus says among his disciples, among you it will not be the way it is out in the world where everyone fights for authority. Among you the least shall be greatest. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you'll be a servant of all. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. This phrase is for us today. Peter, the same man who gave the sermon, he he writes in his epistle, 1 Peter. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen for God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. And our reminder of this today is the bread that was broken, the body of Christ broken for us, and the blood poured out for us we have got to come to that and recognize the fact that there is no way for me to be right with you. There's no way for me to enjoy your presence like you designed me to, God, unless I first come to this rock and I stumble over it at the cross and recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And there is no life and there is no salvation and there is no power outside of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So if you part of that family praise God if you have yet to experience that grace do so today do so today receive the wonderful mercy of Jesus Christ as he says I do not condemn you either let's pray together as we go into our time of celebrating the Lord's table God we thank you for your powerful word God we thank you for your mighty powerful word that has lasted generations Thousands of years, God, attacks from outside and from within. Your word has remained steadfast and faithful and true. And we can trust it today as much as Peter trusted it that day. We can trust that there is salvation in no other name other than Jesus Christ every bit as much as Peter did in that day. And we're 2,020 years removed from that. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. As, as we come to the table today, we remember that this is your body broken for us. We remember that this is your blood poured out for us. We thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you that, that when we are lowered down in front of you, you say to us, your faith has made you well. I forgive your sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can be healed in our very depths. We love you, God. We pray that you would be the one that leads us in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.